someone experiences high levels of undernutrition. So on that note, enjoy our phenomenal guest, Julie. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Julie. Yeah, no problem. So to start us off, would you be able to provide a little background information about yourself and maybe speak about some things that you do to stay well? Yeah. So my background is um, I'm a clinical psychologist and I have been in Australia for almost five years. So I did all of my training in America. I'm from California. And that is where I did um, my schooling and my kids grew up for the first part of their life. So then about five years ago, we decided to make the move over to Australia. We were a bit of an adventurous family Mm -hmm. um, and came out here because I got recruited to come and train psychologists in couples therapy. And we decided to, to take the leap and come on out here. And it's been really quite, quite an adventure. And it's been really great because I think I've gotten to be able to build um, a practice around a lot of the things that I really enjoy working with. I've always um, had a specialty in trauma and then that led me into the eating disorder space. And obviously there is such a need for those types of services here that it has been a really um, awesome opportunity to create a business that really provides a lot of support in that space and, you know, watch clinicians grow. Uh, So professionally, it's been quite a fulfilling experience, I think. And then on the personal side, it's been such a massive change, probably more so than I could have anticipated. You kind of think we're going from like westernized culture to westernized cultures, speaking the same language, but it's really different. And so that's that's been uh, a lot of kind of fun to navigate some of those changes, created some bumps in the road. Uh, but I think it's really then helped us understand the importance of prioritizing well-being, you know, because we showed up in at the end of 2018. So we only had about a year here before COVID came in and all of a sudden the ability to access friends and family was gone and that well-being side of things became even more important. So for me, I think I've really gotten in touch with the things that are fulfilling for me and do create that that well-being. I have a research background and my area of research was in self-care. So I have always had a bit of a focus in, in that space. But for me, well-being is, it ebbs and flows. Like the things that keep us well sometimes aren't the things that we need to do all of the time. And so I think that is really important too. It's different stages of our life and going, well, what is my capacity right now? What kind of time do I have? And then how do I fit that well-being piece in? So I'm an outdoors person. So really just about anything I can do outdoors is probably what I'm doing for my well-being. I live near the beach. We get down there a lot. We like to go for hikes, walk the dogs. So for me, if I can get some fresh air, it's helping. 
Yes, I really love that, like checking in with yourself and seeing what self-care will be best right now with the time that you have and really finding that. Yeah. Yeah, because I think sometimes we think like self-care needs so much time. And a lot of times I'll talk with clients, God, I just don't have time. And so I get we, most of us are really time poor. And so then it's going, well, do I have five minutes? Do I have 10 minutes that I can do something? Because I guess I look at it as we don't have time not to, because it makes us more effective. It makes us more productive, you know, when we are well everything else tends to run a little bit more smoothly. So I view it as you're kind of getting that time back on the back end and your overall experience then is a bit more positive. I agree. It's like if you're at work and you eat lunch at your desk and you don't take that break, you just aren't at your best throughout the day. Like it makes such a difference to have that break or maybe socialize with work colleagues and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great example because I think so many people do that and they just think like, I've got to multitask, I've got to get through this. And it's just like, ah, oh, you're not, you're not getting that break, break. So your depletion is just going to continue and you're actually less productive. And not to mention that then you aren't establishing those relationships with your coworkers. Then you aren't, you know, getting those opportunities to have those conversations or connections. And so there's so many reasons that we really need to slow down and reflect on what do I need? Yes, definitely. So each week on the podcast, we like to ask our guests about a recent challenge that they've experienced and how they have managed to overcome it. Yeah. So I guess I was reflecting on this a little bit and thinking, hmm, what's most helpful? Is it helpful to be like, here's this exact problem and here's what I did to overcome it. And I guess where I'm at in my life is looking at there's some big things going on. And it makes me think like, are we always focusing on having to overcome things versus learning to live with things or being able to kind of compartmentalize in a way that we're not denying it, but allowing ourselves to like ebb and flow through the challenge. Because so much of what I've gone through probably in these last couple of years, but I think people in general is a little bit different than these acute struggles. And they are more of these kind of chronic challenges because we've seen all of these differences in the world. So for me, with everything that's been going on, you know, kind of getting through COVID and then moving to a different country and all of that, there's all of these things. But in the midst of that, I got a health diagnosis that really changed things for me. And so I was diagnosed with MS and that really flipped just about everything upside down for me, trying to figure out what does this mean physically? What does this mean professionally? personally and all of all of the layers of it and so I think for me it's looking at it's not about the overcoming but it's about changing the way that I'm thinking about it and allowing myself to have like that grief of that former version of myself but then also trying not to have that become my identity and I think that's a lot of what we have to do with these bigger struggles that we have is it's we're not always going to just get through something that where there's an end point. But I think it's about reframing it in a way that we can learn to live with and thrive with 
certain challenges. And so for me, that kind of journey over this past year has been really helpful because I think I'm at a point now where it's like I can look forward and say, okay, I can put all of these things in place to promote well-being, but I don't have to lose these different parts of me. They just might look different. Yes. And sorry to hear about your diagnosis, but like you were saying, the challenges are kind of daily and each are different and it can be lifelong with challenges. So it is really important to acknowledge that. So I'm glad that you were able to acknowledge that. Yeah. So on the topic of today, we are going to be talking a lot about the brain. So what functions are our brains involved in? So the short answer would be everything. (laughs) Because our brains really are connected to every aspect of our functioning, because we need our brain to send those signals to every part of our body. That's where, you know, the neurotransmitters are communicating throughout our entire body. So I don't think there's actually anything that that the brain isn't involved in our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, you know, learning, how we respond to things. So I guess without just completely delving into every one of those areas, because I'm sure we're going to unpack those a bit, my short answer would be everything. Yes. So then yeah. what about undernutrition? How might this occur through the experiences of an eating disorder and how may that impact the brain? Mm -hmm. So the undernutrition is really related to the brain not receiving the nutrients and the amount of energy that it needs from the body and receiving that through food intake. So with that, it's going to impact all levels of of our functioning. and I think the the undernutrition side of things, it's going to be variable too, because it's going to also depend how long has the brain been undernourished. That's going to impact the amount of symptoms and outcomes that a person experiences. So when someone is having an eating disorder, if they are restricting or using purging behaviors that are then eliminating the the nutrients that the body needs, it's going to, it's going to disrupt the internal balance. Everything has a purpose, right? So we have like the, the fats and the carbohydrates and the vitamins and the minerals, and they all work together to keep everything functioning well. So as those levels start depleting, someone is going to experience all sorts of like physiological symptoms, their overall health is going to decrease within the eating disorder um, space. It There's often certain food groups that become restricted or eliminated. And so then you can see, see real deficits in those areas, you know? So if someone's not even getting enough sugars, like the brain relies heavily on glucose to create that energy. So then all of the sudden, that's going to start going down. So from the undernutrition side of things and the relationship then with an eating disorder, the longer someone's in the eating disorder, the more significant that undernutrition is going to be. Yeah. Wow. And if a lot of food groups are kind of eliminated, 
and you know there are deficits from the nutrients that your brain and body are receiving what are the symptoms of maybe the undernutrition um seen in the brain Mm -hmm. um so one of the i would say one of the earliest things that that people often experience would be cognitive changes so if someone's experiencing undernutrition they're going to have difficulty with concentration memory, um, problem solving, kind of all of those executive functioning skills that we use all day, every day, planning and organizing tasks, you know, being able to um, keep things structured at work or at school or in the home. Um, A lot of mood changes because the our mood is heavily reliant on the ability to create dopamine and serotonin. And that is highly correlated with our food intake because there is a strong connection between the brain and the gut with, in regards to dopamine and serotonin production. I think we often hear about dopamine and serotonin and the brain but what we don't hear a lot about is that the majority of serotonin is made in our gut and about half of our dopamine is made in our gut and so if we don't have proper nutrition our gut health won't be good either and so it actually is as important as the impact on the brain because that those mood changes then are going to kind of have that ripple effect where people start losing motivation they're, they could become so socially withdrawn and aren't wanting to engage in society. And so then you see an increase in mental health symptoms, anxiety, depression, um, in extreme cases of, of restriction, you people can experience psychotic symptoms and that, that make it really hard to stay in touch with reality because the brain is literally starving. And so it can't make those types of decisions. And then I would say like on the physical side of things, you're going to have that lower energy. So they, and loss of muscle mass, which is going to reduce that physical ability and also how people feel within their body and within themselves. And then I'd say a big one would be sleep because our body does a lot of that food digestion at night. And so if people are undernourished, they often start waking up in the night because you have increased cortisol in your body because it's under a lot of stress. And we all know that we need sleep for everything. So then it just kind of ripples out so that all areas of the, you know, the human function are impacted. Yeah. Wow. It definitely is all areas can be influenced from like yeah your social relationships to your cognitions to your mental health and your gut as well there's just so many different parts that are impacted by undernutrition yep so then how much energy does your brain actually need to function yep so this will be variable because there's a lot of things that are going to determine how much energy the brain needs so that can depend on on age, uh, gender, the the amount of output someone's doing, you know, the brain's going to need a lot more energy when someone is in school learning because you're using so much of that like mental reserve. But on average, the brain uses about 20% of the energy that we need. So out of our kind of daily food intake, about 20% of that goes directly to the brain. 
So I think that's a useful thing because people don't realize that thinking uses a lot of energy. And I, I won't quote the exact number, but I remember um, watching, um, watching someone talk about the impact of like thinking and they use the example of like people who play chess. And like, if you're at a chess tournament for the day, how the, the amount of energy they use exceeds the amount of somebody who just ran a marathon. And I was like, wow, like that really puts it in perspective because the more we need to use our brain, we literally have to fuel it. And I think that's such an important factor because we don't necessarily think of the cause and effect so greatly with the brain. And so if we are undernourished, that's the first thing that starts to get impacted. And so the brain uses a tremendous amount of energy that typically relies on various food groups um, to fuel it. That is so interesting. It's like now I'm just realizing I find that when I'm at the desk, like working all day and I haven't maybe interacted with people, I'm more tired than if I was out doing a little bit more. But I find that just working and using your brain all day, maybe at an office job or something like that, you might be more depleted because of how much energy you're kind of using. Absolutely. And I think it's it's such a great thing to know, too, because then it can inform how we use our brain or how we divide up our day. Like if you know you have this really intensive, more administrative task that needs a lot of focus and, and brain activity, you have to figure out, well, when am I most fresh? When do I have the greatest amount of mental energy to be able to put into that task? And then knowing that using doing different tasks is going to impact the brain differently too. So that that's a big part of like how I work even just in my career is going, I need different things to use different parts of my brain because it's more sustainable. So having those different things like doing individual therapy, but then also doing assessments, which is a different part of the brain and a different way of, of using it, you know, and then having these different areas, because for me, it keeps my brain more fresh. And so I do think that that's helpful for people to think about too, because then you can structure it in a way that almost protects some of that energy. Yes, definitely. And thinking about little self-care things in the day that you can do, like the breaks, the socializing, the coffees, those type of things can be really good too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then how does the food we eat impact our brain? Yeah. So different foods are going to have a, a different level of impact. Um, so certain things like cognitive functioning, the types of foods that we're going to have is going to help our, our memory and our learning. So we really want to make sure that we're getting those different, that variety of, of food, uh, mental energy, but also then physical energy as well. Our mood, our you know mental health, I will probably continually go back to that, not maybe just because it's the space that I work in, but I think it's such an important thing for us all to be aware of because you'll see that, you know, people will be like, oh, I'm kind of crashing in the afternoon and my mood starts feeling a bit low. And then oftentimes they crave something a little bit like sweeter and it's kind of saying, oh, your blood sugar is going down. You don't have enough glucose to get that energy to the brain. So sometimes we need to have a bit of that 
that sugar, you know, in the afternoon and being able to understand what is it that my brain needs in that moment. And that's going to then inform the type of food. And it also helps like with inflammation and like neurological conditions. They, there's a lot of research around if you have deficits in certain types of food groups, it can lead to those long-term impacts um, neurologically. So the type of food is really important for our brain health, not just now, but futuristically. Yeah, definitely, because it needs lots of different nutrients and food groups. So like you're saying, it's important to kind of listen to your cravings and really kind of trust your body and your brain to see what it is needing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then what about the macronutrients, carbohydrates, fats and proteins? How do they play a role in the body? Um, well, okay, so they're all going to have like different impacts on on the brain but then they work together so they're kind of like different pieces of the puzzle for the big picture so they'll have their individual impact but then they'll have their overlapping impact of when they kind of get together and work so if you're looking at carbohydrates that's going to be like the primary source of energy within our body but also the brain and energy as well because going back to the brain needing the glucose a lot of glucose is received through carbohydrates and then we also need those carbohydrates just for the energy, you know? So if somebody's doing some physical activity, if they don't have enough carbohydrates, they're just going to run out. It also helps with digestion because we need to have that well-balanced diet in order for our body to be able to break down all of the food, extract all of the nutrients and carbohydrates kind of serve a, as a bit of a vessel for that. Um, looking at fats. I think sometimes that can feel like a scary one, especially in the eating disorder space. I so often see just that, that avoidance of the fats. I don't, you know, because it feels scary, similar to carbohydrates, but I think we, we don't focus on the positive side of fats quite as much and that it offers a lot of um, protection for our body and it also serves as a bit of the the vessel to make sure that everything's able to move throughout the body you know the fats kind of coat everything they protect all of our organs and they keep everything functioning well um it also plays a big role in um like brain health you can hear a lot about needing those omega threes to keep the brain really sharp and and functioning um so that becomes really important there and then like with protein, that that really impacts our immune system. We need a lot of antioxidants, which are protein in order to kind of keep the body well. And then proteins also involved, you know, collagen's a form of protein. So it keeps keeps our body in place doing what it's supposed to. So it has actual like structural implications on the body. So they, they play a really big role. And I think the importance of it too is knowing what the right amount is because there's going to be, you know, there's always that middle ground of we don't want too much of one thing that's eliminating everything else, but we also don't want to eliminate entire groups. Yeah, exactly. It shows that all the different macronutrients are important and you want to try to get 
enough of each one and not really just focus on a, a few or one or none. Yeah. So then what neural processes are our brains involved in? So a lot. I mean, it, it's basically kind of going back to that that initial question of what's involved. It's everything. So the neural processes, that's that's our sensory processing. So how we're experiencing the world. It's influencing how we taste things, how things feel, um, our ability to just input all of that sensory information. Um, motor control, our ability to, you know, exert physical activity, but also to control our physical movements and feel as though we have that autonomy over our bodies. Um, all of the, the cognitive abilities, so our learning, our executive functioning, which then is going to impact our emotions, our language skills, our processing speed. So there's really not much the brain isn't involved in. Yes, and that shows its importance. <laughs> yes. So then what about undernourishment? How might that impair the key functions then that we need? Mm -hmm. So that will have a big impact um, on overall well-being. But then again, it's also going to be variable depending on the age of the person who's experiencing undernutrition. Because with brain development, our brain is continuing to develop, you know, into mid twenties and there's variability because everyone's going to be very unique. So if someone's experiencing undernourishment during those key developmental times, then it will really impact their ability to, to learn, um, to perform at work, and that can then have that lasting impact because, you know, even if we go down the track and say somebody's going to become properly nourished, they've missed some of those developmental opportunities. And so then it leaves them needing to almost like catch up. It can impact also, you know, if people are still in those developmental stages where they're growing, it can impact their growth trajectory because they're not getting what they need. So they actually may not fully develop and actually be structurally shorter or smaller than they would have been without that undernourishment coming into play. Um, and then you know, all, all of our um, bodily functions are going to be impacted. People will have, can develop visual problems, cardiovascular problems. And I think because of the brain connection to all of the different parts of our body, just depending on how pervasive the undernourishment is and how long it's been going on, those problems then just tend to become more and more. Wow. Yeah, that is very interesting. So then how would maybe undernutrition impact behavior? Yeah. So with behavior, it's going to impact it. It will have some variability for people, but I would say for starters, one of the biggest things that I notice is mood changes because it creeps in so quickly 
people can start experiencing more depression, anxiety, emotional reactivity. They don't have that reserves to engage in critical thinking quite as much. And so then that logical part of the brain starts to kind of underperform. And then the emotional side of our brain starts overperforming. And now we're kind of navigating life from this very like emotional reactive lens which then causes a lot of challenges interpersonally as well, because if we are just in this like reactive stage, it impacts how we're interacting with people. So then it tends to impact relationships, work, school, you know, and then as the brain um, is trying to engage in critical thinking, it won't be able to do that as effectively. Um, and oftentimes, people then start developing decreased motivation, which can make one treatment, especially if you're looking in the eating disorder space with someone who's undernourished and is now feeling more of those symptoms related to anxiety, depression, and not and lack of motivation, it makes that, that path forward feel so much more difficult. And I think that's often one of the challenges in the eating disorder space and what promotes often that longevity needed for, for treatment because it's such a complex disorder that impacts all areas of someone's being. Definitely. So then what about the reward responses? How might that be impacted by undernutrition? Mm. Well, the reward, the reward responses in our brain highly um, rely on consistent input. And so we develop those reward systems from the things that we enjoy doing. And by getting enough of that dopamine and serotonin, then our brain is able to tell us, ah, this feels really good. I like this. I don't like this. And it helps us understand how to navigate the world. And so when we have undernourishment and those dopamine and serotonin levels start to deplete, our reward system starts to change. And so it, it can become underactive where we aren't getting the, that like neurofeedback saying, this is enjoyable. I like this. This makes me feel good. And so our behaviors start to change because because as that reward system changes, if people aren't getting that feedback that something is enjoyable, then they are more likely to start reducing their engagement in it. And that can then lead to reduced social interaction, um, change in relationships, reduction in foods, um, disengagement in all enjoyable activities, because you're actually not getting the feedback from the brain telling you you like it. So then that starts increasing those mental health uh, symptoms because someone's not getting the enjoyment out of life. And so it starts to feel a bit more mundane and less fulfilling, which is like really challenging because it doesn't, the reward system in the brain then has to almost be retrained. And so it's like through that, like refeeding people can kind of get back in touch with what those things are, but it's a long process. And so it can leave people feeling 
really overwhelmed because we need to have the, that enjoyment in life. That That's what gets us through. You know, that's how we do all the things in life that we don't really find all that enjoyable, but we need to do because it's like life admin. But if you're not getting the things on the side that feel good, you're also not going to want to do the life admin thing and it becomes a bit of a cycle. Yes, definitely. So then what about maybe memory um, and your interactions with people? How might that be um, impacted by undernutrition? Yeah, your memory will be greatly impacted by undernutrition. And so that can impact short-term memory which then will also impact long-term memory. And then with, with the, with like the social side of things, obviously we need to be able to engage in things that we have that recall in order to be establishing new relationships and expressing interest in people. And so when the memory is impaired, we can't really engage in meaningful relationships because we just don't have the brain function. Mm. All the energy to do it. Or yeah. you're preoccupied using all the energy that you do have maybe on food or disordered behaviors. And then, yeah, like you are saying, it's quite a cycle. Yeah. So then why does our brain need a range of nutrients to function? Um, the brain needs the range of nutrients because every nutrient nutrient has a specific role. So if we are just having a certain group of nutrients, we're not going to have the well-roundedness. And because of that interaction effect, we need to have a wide range of nutrients so that it, it taps into different things. You know, like it kind of reminds you when you're growing up and, and your mom's telling you like, eat this because it's good for this, you know, or eat this because it's good for this and, and trying to be like, okay, what do I need to eat? Because I have a big test today. So what type of foods are going to help me with increasing my memory and my focus and are going to stick in my body for the long term and not be these quick foods that, that, that digest quickly. So I think it speaks to you have to have that like well-roundedness in order to be able to tap into all of the different aspects of the brain and keeping that like neuroplasticity so that we can learn new things and do new things and adjust to life's changes. And that really relies heavily on healthy brain function. And I think in the eating disorder space, that's where things can get really challenging because you're trying to make these behavioral changes and then also these like cognitive changes around like belief systems, but you're working with an undernourished brain so often that doesn't have that same cognitive flexibility because it's really attached to the, the emotional part of the brain and how it feels where it reduces the ability to let some of that kind of the logical side in and look at like facts, you know, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that occurs within the eating disorder space where you have to be like leaning into that emotional side of it because it's, it almost blocks out the logical part because it feels like, oh, that applies to other people. That's not me. And I, I hear that so often. And one of the challenges that makes it so difficult is a lot of times 
it's really hard for people to develop that belief system that this can be really dangerous for like my body and my brain until they actually start experiencing some really significant symptoms. And unfortunately, then that increases the challenge of treatment because by the time people are really experiencing a lot of that symptomology, the eating disorder has a really strong grip. Yes, definitely. So can you recover from undernutrition on the brain? And what are the effects of refeeding? Yeah. So I guess the answer is it depends for the the recovery side of things. For, For the most part, the brain is a really resilient part of our body. So it it's made to recover. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the important things like in, in the eating disorder space is there's so much kind of fear about early stages of recovery because it's, it's you know, what's it going to do as I start recovering? And we so often focus on the physical side, but I try to talk a lot about the impact on the brain because that's so often what's making people not really feel great is the those ripple effects of not being able to uh, manage emotions you know not being able to kind of engage in those executive functioning skills so as people start that refeeding process the brain and the body have a pretty quick recovery system for some of it, like the metabolism, as soon as you start refeeding, that metabolism is taking that fuel and starts working really quickly. Um, and, you know, that's that's related to that body starting to function a little bit better. So I think some of the first things that people experience is related to like the cognitions and being able to have that memory and the learning start coming back. And then you have a bit of like the emotional well-being that starts getting restored. And then that that neuroplasticity starts repairing itself. And so the brain tends to be able to repair fairly well. The flip side of that is there's going to be some challenges if it's long-term undernutrition, because there can be that those lasting impacts. If somebody's experiencing undernutrition for a really significant amount of time, and I can't really give like, here's what that time frame is because it's so unique for, for individual people it can actually change the brain structure. So the brain can actually start to shrink because it's not getting the appropriate um, nutrition. And so as that, that brain is shrinking, some of those areas aren't going to be able to be repaired. So you can have those lasting impacts with like the executive functioning or emotion control that can be really challenging. That's one of the reasons that that early intervention with eating disorders becomes so important, um, especially for young people, because we really want to reduce those long-term outcomes that may not be as reversible. So I think for from my perspective, when you see people going through like the refeeding and entering that um, like recovery phase, 
it really shows you how resilient our body is because eating disorders are so hard on the body that the body wants to recover and it wants to heal and it wants to thrive. And so when it starts getting that nutrition, it starts grabbing everything. And then that reward system starts developing again. And it's like, oh, I like food. And I love when clients start being like, oh, I really liked this meal. And all of a sudden it's being like, I didn't know I was going to be able to really just love food again. And, and I think that that speaks to the brain's resiliency. Yes. And I really love the benefits that aren't just physical, like you're saying, like the emotions, the reward systems, the relationships, everything. It's such a journey that you take step by step. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, especially in the eating recovery, uh, eating disorder recovery space, obviously the physical side of things becomes really important because it's health and well-being. But I think we get a bit short-sighted if that's all that we're focusing on because it makes recovery so much harder because that's one of the hardest parts for a person experiencing an eating disorder. And so in order to get that buy-in and that motivation about why would I want to recover, there needs to be some understanding of these external factors that can also improve that may may feel more desirable in those early stages. Yes. And like you were saying at the start of the podcast, it's not just about overcoming something. It's kind of a lifelong journey and you need to take it step by step and look at all areas rather than going, okay, I've done it. Cause that's when mm-hmm. you find instances of maybe relapsing or really just not be- having the motivation to recover. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for this podcast. It's been stellar. No problem. Thanks for having me on. So if anyone would like to find more information about you, Julie, where could they find you? Well, I, we have a website. I work at a practice. Um, it's called SA Psychology and Wellness. So it's in Henley Beach in South Australia. We have two offices there. So I'm the, one of the owners of the practice. But that is where I see clients and I supervise students and um do all of all of the cool stuff that I get to do working in this space. So we have a website with lots of information, not just about me, but even about resources for people who are experiencing eating disorders. And, you know, I understand it can be really hard to reach out and not everyone is ready to just go see someone. So sometimes those other resources, while people are in those kind of pre-contemplation stages of like, what do I want to do with this are really helpful. Um, and I, I think that that for me is a really important thing. It's like everyone needs to have their support and resources and um, I guess a good support network. So that that's that's where I would like people to be able to go and, and get what they need in order to maybe start the journey of um, heading towards recovery and living a kind of wholehearted life where they feel well. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Julie. Yeah. Bye. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.